Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever, whenever you might be hearing this. Welcome to the first episode of the Rich Swish Sports Show. I'm your host, Rich, of course. If you did not know, um, we have a lot to get on our plate today. So let's get right into it. Um, initially, I thought I would make an introductory episode um, just to kind of introduce myself and tell you guys what I want to do. But the news has been piling on one after another. And I mean, first, I thought this was going to be a football based episode based on the whole Deshaun Watson saga. And that's actually going to be the next thing I get to, along with reviewing uh, Wild Card Weekend and the National Championship. But for today, um, I really just want to discuss everything that's gone down recently with basketball. Um, Obviously, that's headlined by the James Harden trade, uh, how that's going to affect Brooklyn, Houston, Cleveland, and Indiana. And uh, I want to get to Jalen Brown. He's been absolutely exceptional. Um, Of course, he is in quarantine right now, but I mean, the things he was doing before he went into quarantine, I mean, he was looking like a top 10 NBA player right there. Um, Nikola Jokic, uh, even though the Nuggets aren't doing great, Nikola Jokic has shown to be probably the greatest passing big man of all time. Uh, I'm going to get deeper into that. And then uh, I want to get to talking about LaMelo Ball, um, Pat Williams, Tyrese Halliburton, and some of the other rookies who've you know, gotten off to you know unique starts per se. Um, I think a lot of people aren't giving this rookie class enough credit, just because you know we don't have the luxury of guys like John Morant and Zion Williamson being twenty point scorers, basically upon entering the league. So let's get right into the James Harden trade. Wow, uh, I don't think anyone saw this coming this fast. Uh, really looked like things were kind of heading into a split on both ends. I mean, Brooklyn's been embarked in this whole Kyrie Irving uh, dilemma right now um, with reports that they are unhappy with Kyrie Irving and Kyrie Irving's unhappy with them. And I think with that, I think it really sped up the decision to get James Harden because I think for right now, they're not even sure exactly when Kyrie Irving comes back. And on Houston's side, I mean, we all just saw the, the recent James Harden interview, which is... And now his last interview in Houston, uh, he basically just said um, everything's unfixable. He just wants to go. And I think he's done everything for Houston. So I don't think Houston fans should be better. Like, yes, he didn't bring them a ring. But at the same time, where would Houston be without James Harden? James Harden has carried that franchise from, you know, really just the days of uh, Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming, and it's been a fluent transition from that into James Harden. Of course, starting with that uh, beautiful trade orchestrated to get James Harden and only giving up Jeremy Lamb, Kevin Martin, and um, two other draft picks that became Royce White, and uh, I think one other player I can't name off the top of my head, but if I can't name him, that probably means he's not in the NBA anymore. So before I even get into you know, how important this James Harden trade is. I want to just talk about the Brooklyn Nets as a franchise. I think not enough credit is being given to the Nets for really turning around one of the worst situations the in the NBA uh, about four or five years ago. You know, they really just did not have a future that was worth looking forward to. And especially since Billy, uh, Billy King really ruined that franchise 
with the whole Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade. And I've seen some people compare this Harden trade to that, um, you know, James Harden, I mean, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade. And I just wanted to be clear. There is no way that you can even remotely compare these two trades. Um, James Harden is, without a doubt, a top five, top seven at worst uh, player in the league. He's a dynamic scorer, one of the best pure scorers of the last decade, and one of the best pure scorers of all time. You know, I think you know he gets a lot of criticism for you know flopping per se, and uh, getting to the free throw line a ton. That's just his craftiness, man. And on top of that, he's literally invented moves to score. You know that uh, gather step, step back, or double step back, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I see so many players using that now. And so many players kind of uh, taking advantage of the loophole in the gather step in the gather step rule in order to create new ways to score for them. And I think we have to give a lot of credit to James Harden. Um, the pace of the play obviously uh, inflates James Harden when you compare compare him to scores of the past, like Tracy McGrady, Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant. But I mean, at the end of the day, this guy still averaged like thirty six points while also being an exceptional playmaker. So comparing that to a clearly aged Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett that were on the downswing of their careers is just is just so irrational and it's just like it's just unfair criticism. And whether this trade works out or not, I think that the Nets are right to take this chance because at the end of the day, if you get a ring Nothing else matters. Like, absolutely nothing. And while I don't believe they will get a ring this season, uh, I think the return of Spencer Dinwiddie next season and whatever pieces they might add makes a very convincing argument for them to possibly be the favorite to win next year. But anyway, uh, back to the topic. So, Sean Marks, the Brooklyn GM, he's really just done a great job. This all started with the trade to acquire D'Angelo Russell. For the 27th pick, which became Kyle Kuzma and Timothy Moskov's awful contract. And that was big because, for one, D'Angelo Russell obviously exploded in um, Brooklyn. Um, they were able to draft Jared Allen after that. They also drafted Karis LeVert with a pick they acquired from Indiana. And had other interesting pieces, such as... Well, the Karis LeVert pick was acquired through getting through giving up Bogdan Bogdanovich, or Bojan Bogdanovich, and um, those pieces obviously became integral. They found Spencer Dinwiddie basically out of nowhere. Uh, this guy was cut in Detroit and Chicago, and really didn't exactly have a role in the NBA. But I mean, he's turned into a dynamic playmaker. He gives you all-star production, basically as a sixth man, even though he should be a starter. And could be like a potential all-star in the East because, I mean, the guard depth in the West is too crazy for him to be an all-star. But 20.7 assists on a playoff team and probably even more if he were to command his own team. I mean, that's all-star numbers right there. So these picks um, all change pretty much the culture and the dynamic of the team. I mean, they would not be able to acquire Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant if... They didn't make these moves. And that's not just because, you know, these are good young talents 
And, you know, D'Angelo Russell was, of course, um, involved in the sign-in trade with Kevin Durant. It's the fact that they completely changed the culture around. D'Angelo Russell and that Nets crew made the playoffs as an eight seed, nonetheless, and they didn't really uh, accomplish anything. But that's big. And I know Knicks fans will hate to hear this, but that this easily could have been them. Um, I think James Dolan and um, their previous GM, Scott Perry, really held them back. And obviously, that has amounted to Leon Rose coming in, and I think he's doing a great job now. But um, yeah, I mean, Brooklyn really changed their culture and made it a place where J- uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving wanted to go to, which is big because, I mean, obviously they're a big market team, but I mean, looking at Brooklyn historically, like since they technically moved from New Jersey, um, it just hasn't been a good organization until now. Um, and that's huge because I think, you know, regardless of this, it sets a precedent as Brooklyn now being um, one of the elite organizations where stars will want to come to, and that's regardless of their success. So, on to more pressing matters. Um, so, the James Harden trade, of course, the Nets just picked up uh, James Harden. The Rockets get Victor Oladipo. Karis LeVert gets sent to Indiana. And um, the Cavaliers pick up Jarrett Allen and um, Torian Prince. And the Rockets also acquired Dante Exum and Rodion's Caruso. So let's get right into the on-court fit with um, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. Um, and I think a lot of people are questioning this because they're like, oh, you know, these are three of the greatest one-on-one scores, and they're all on-ball players. And this is where I think Steve Nash can really show his coaching expertise. Remember, Steve Nash actually came from the Golden State Warriors organization. And he was there for the years that they had Clay, KD, and Steph Curry. And the offense that they orchestrated back then had a lot to do with KD and Clay being on ball, where Steph Curry would run around and kind of run through picks and find his spots and then get the ball and either catch and shoot or create his own offense. And I think in order for Brooklyn to make this work, that's pretty much the offense they'll have to run. I think KD himself can be an off-ball player. Obviously, he's like one of the greatest scorers of all time. Um, And I think they need to put James Harden on on ball and keep Kyrie Irving in that Steph Curry role where he's sort of off-ball and just kind of running around screen set from DeAndre Jordan and Joe Harris and kind of finding his spots. And James Harden is, without a doubt, the best passer on this team. I mean, yes, he was completely on ball and had the ball in his hands in Houston like 100% of the time, but hes I don't think he's given enough credit as a playmaker just because, you know, he does take a lot of shots and does take a lot of time off the shot clock to create those looks, such as, you know, dribbling it out for like 10 seconds and doing the double step back. But, I mean, James Harden at the end of the day is a point guard as well. And Kyrie Irving's shooting ability is not Steph Curry, obviously. But he is one of the best shooters at the point guard position. That's without a doubt. He can hit from anywhere. I, I probably wouldn't say he has Damian Lillard range or Steph Curry range. But he, he hits off balance shots. He gets to his uh, spots. Um, obviously, with the handles, he can attack the basket at will. 
And I think that's very important because when James Harden does his drives, he can find KD or Kyrie on the kickout and they can orchestrate the offense themselves. And I don't think that's being mentioned enough. And I think the idea that these three guys are just going to dribble out the shot clock and take bad shots and, you know, they'll still make it because they're KD, James Harden, and Kyrie is just kind of um, irrational. And I don't want to say everyone's a hater, but, I mean, <laughs> these guys are – these three guys collectively are probably three of the most disliked uh, players by most NBA fans for various reasons. But, um, yeah, they still have Joe Harris, Landry Shamit. Uh, will be off the bench along with Bruce Brown and I think they need to add some more depth especially in the big man position um, because I don't believe in DeAndre Jordan uh, this is why I kind of had a problem with them giving up Torian Prince um, Jared Allen was inevitable they had to let him go I'm actually not sure why Houston didn't pick him up but uh, losing Torian Prince is a really underrated fact because he was really playing this stretch for a uh, small forward spot um, really well. He's a pretty good shooter. Uh, he's also a really underrated defender. I had the pleasure of watching him play for my Hawks for a couple years. Um, he's really a hustle guy. Jeff Green is going to be really important to this team because now he becomes a small ball five. And Jeff Green is a grinder. I mean, he's been in the league for so long now. He obviously has the chemistry with KD and Harden going back to their days in Oklahoma. And he's shown to be a pretty good defender. Um, I think last year everyone saw that when they played the Lakers. Now, obviously, he couldn't contain Anthony Davis, but who can it? Who can contain Anthony Davis, especially if you're undersized? So the next moves for Brooklyn, I'd say, would be get a big man for depth. Um, Dwayne Dedman is currently a free agent. I know that's not like a flashy signing, but Dwayne Dedman is a pretty good five that can stretch the floor. Uh, he can hit the occasional three. Uh, he's a great rebounder, and I'd say he's like significantly a better than significantly better on defense than DeAndre Jordan. Although that isn't saying much. Now um, I know this sounds like I'm just rashing on DeAndre Jordan, but the problem with Jordan is he's just become so inattentive. And um, while he is still a great shot blocker, that doesn't mean you're a great defender. When you watch him just off ball, when he's not at the center of attention, you see him get lost on many plays. He's sometimes just standing around. Uh, I was watching the Hawks-Nets game, the one that was um, a 145 to 141 game. And there was multiple times where Cam Reddish was able to cut from the corner down the baseline to get an easy layup, or DeAndre Hunter was able to cut from the three-point line all the way to the rim, and DeAndre Jordan was not even facing them. And if you're an inside big that's supposedly a rim protector, I mean, this just can't happen. And especially when you have teams that have guys like Bam Adebayo, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and even if they make it that far, Anthony Davis. You just can't lose track of these kind of players inside. So pick up Dwayne Dedman. Um, potentially also get Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, uh, another free agent, who's, I actually don't know why he's not in the NBA right now. I don't know why Minnesota released him, considering the structural makeup of that team. 
And he's a very big hustle player, a little bit undersized, but he's a great rebounder. He's been a positive defender in every advanced metric um, over the last couple years. And um, yeah, we need we need more defense on this team for sure. I think shooting with Joe Harris, I mean, that's that's really just not a problem. And you have Kyrie Harden and Durant. Shooting is not the issue on this team. And I don't think offense will be an issue on this team either. And whether they pick up defenders or not, um, this is still going to be one of the most exciting teams in the league. And they'll still have considerable amount of success. Because at the end of the day, I mean, defense wins you championships. But if you're scoring 160 points a game or dropping like 150, obviously that's kind of exaggerating it, exaggerating it. But, I mean, when you're doing that, it just makes defense a little bit more insignificant. And, you know, you have three guys that are the best isolation scorers. You can lock down Kyrie, and then what do you do with Harden and Durant? You know, Harden's going to have bad shooting nights. I think that's pretty much a given. But at the same time, Harden's going to get to the line about 15 times. So is that even really locking him down? And he's still going to create for KD. And I just don't think there's a single player in the league that can actually lock down KD. You know, the, the length and his um, just the release of his shot is so high that it's basically unblockable. Of course, like, you know, there's instances where it gets blocked and stuff like that. But, I mean, I'd, there's only a couple players that I'd even be confident in covering uh, Kevin Durant to hold him to maybe 20, 25 points instead of 30. And that would be a guy like Ben Simmons or Giannis himself. So, on to Houston Rockets return. They picked up Victor Oladipo. A slew of picks, four first-round picks, including four pick swaps. And for those of you that may not understand what pick swaps are, they didn't get eight first-round picks. That would be impossible um, with the Stipian rule where you can't trade first-round picks in consecutive years. Pick swaps are basically that um, if uh, Brooklyn has a higher pick than Houston, they have the right to switch their picks in that year. And I think that's not really going come to come into being um, effective um, for the next couple years. But down the line, it's going to be very effective because after that big three retires or breaks up, you know, Brooklyn's going to go through a tough stretch. And getting all those first-round picks, too, are just very important because that means Houston has total roster control, which they kind of lost when they made the Russell Westbrook deal, and they now they got it back. So picking up Victor Oladipo, I think, is the main kind of feature of their package. Um, they traded Karis LeVert to Indiana in order to acquire Victor Oladipo, and they also threw a second-round pick. And for one, I think having Victor Oladipo is significantly better than getting Karis LeVert. And I'll talk about LeVert um, when I talk about the Pacers return. But it's, I think it's an interesting fit next to John Wall. I mean, we live in a league where it's very shooting dominant. And Oladipo is basically a league average shooter. And John Wall is a subpar shooter. He's not great at... Creating threes for himself, he's not great at catch-and-shoot opportunities. However, they're both pretty good defenders. And um, 
they also both are great slashers. John Wall still has burst, which is kind of absurd considering the injuries he's gone through. But John Wall can still get to the rim at will. And Victor Oladipo has looked really good in um, bouncing back from last year where it looked like we'd never see that all-star form Oladipo again. And while he isn't at that all-NBA level he was at a couple years ago, um, he still looks really, really good. He's getting to his spots. Uh, the burst is back, and the athleticism has always been there. I thought that would maybe go away forever, but for now, it looks like he's looking really good. So they still have Eric Gordon on the roster too, which I think is going to be really key because I don't think you can play John Wall and Oladipo on the court all the time. I think they have to take turns between Wall and Oladipo being the primary creator on the court and having um, Eric Gordon be that shooting two or three, depending on the lineups they make. Um, Daniel House is a very good shooter. Uh, he's a very good defender, too. And, of course, the biggest piece that I think benefits from this all is Christian Wood. Now, Christian Wood obviously would benefit with Harden more, um, hypothetically. But Harden uh, was not locked in at all. He really wanted to get out of Houston, and so he was really not helping on the court at all. So Christian Wood, on the other hand, has been a pleasant surprise. I mean, if you followed him from the days that he got cut um, from the Sixers to having those mini outbursts with the Pelicans when Anthony Davis was injured slash holding out, um, you saw the potential was there. And then in Detroit last year, uh, when Blake Griffin went down, Christian Wood exploded. I mean, um, well, Blake Griffin went down, but also Andre Drummond's trade um, really helped elevate Christian Wood. You saw all the different talents as a shooter um, from any range, uh, mid-range, close, and three-pointer. And he's also a great rebounder. He is a lackluster defender, but I think when you have guys like P.J. Tucker, um, it really eliminates that a lot. He runs the floor really well, and he's going to be a great threat in transition now because I think John Wall and Oladipo are going to push the pace heavy. Now, a common discussion recently has been whether the Rockets should have taken the offer of just Simmons, and I think that's inevitably yes. I mean, Ben Simmons is definitely better than anything the Houston Rockets got, but the slew of first-round picks... Um, I think gives you more roster control. Whereas like if you're building a roster around Ben Simmons, you without having all that roster control now with the, the picks, I think it'll be a little bit harder because Houston is still a weird roster. I think, I don't think Ben Simmons fit on Houston right now is any better than Ben Simmons is fit in Philly. So I understand why the Houston Rockets didn't pursue or didn't take Ben Simmons and wanted a little bit more, including Tyrese Maxey. And I'm very happy Philadelphia didn't give up Tyrese Maxey because, for one, I'm exceptionally high on Tyrese Maxey. I think he has a chance to be one of the best players in the draft. Um, I'll probably have a little segment on him in the future. But I think Tyrese Maxey can become a C.J. McCollum impact type player where he gives you 24-4 and four on decent splits. Um, I don't think Maxey ever becomes a three-point shooter. McCollum is. But... His ability to kind of take those um, ball handling duties away from Simmons, which allows Simmons to move in transition more and kind of just move around the court, is huge. And 
one thing, um, so going back to Houston, I think now we have to consider if they're a playoff team. They have a pretty good roster uh, in the West, but as you know, it's very tough. Um, the Denver Nuggets have come out a little bit slow, and that's primarily due to the loss of Jeremy Grant, which has made their defense um, basically non-existent uh, so far into the season. The OKC Thunder are out of the playoff picture because um, obviously getting rid of Chris Paul and going into a full rebuild. Um, the Phoenix Suns are now in the playoff picture because they added Chris Paul and because of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton's growth on both ends of the floor. And so I think they can get in as an 8th seed or a 7th seed. I really wouldn't take them any higher. But, I mean, regardless, I think this is a good team. It's going to be fun to watch especially with John Wall and Oladipo. These guys are highlight makers. They might not win a ton, but in my opinion, at least, it's going to be better than watching the D'Antoni offense of last year where it's just iso, 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 or iso kick. And with Steven Silas as a first-time head coach, I think he's going to more so kind of flex his playbook a little bit more because I don't think he was doing that with James Harden. Um Obviously, him and James Harden were just at a disconnect for most of the season. I mean, going back into training camp with the whole incident of James Harden kind of partying and not being with the team. And then when he came with the team, it was clear that these guys didn't buy in. And so going back to that, um, also, P.J. Tucker seems to be like a likely trade candidate. And I think that Houston can get a first-round pick out of P.J. Tucker because Yes, he's not flashy. You know, he's not going to give you, you know, 15 points even and like 10 rebounds. But for one, he's probably the best three-point shooter, uh, specifically in the corner. I think he was in the top percentile on catch-and-shoot corner threes. And he's an absolutely rugged defender. He's one of those guys that I don't want to give the term LeBron stopper because I think that's an immature term because no one's stopping LeBron. But um, he's one of those guys that kind of can cover at any angle and any position. And, um, you know, he got dominated by Anthony Davis uh, in last year's playoffs, but he still held his own. You know, there's times that P.J. Tucker would make Anthony Davis uncomfortable and force him to take step back or fading twos, which isn't a high percentage shot. But, I mean, Anthony Davis will nail those a good 40 to 50 percent of the time. So when they if they can get a first round pick, um, out of P.J. Tucker that's even bigger for their future. Um, like, I can't predict draft classes even two years down the line. But if they could get a first-round pick for this year's draft class, I think that would help them a lot. I think there's a lot of high-end talent. But there's also a bunch of guys that you want you can just swing on for their potential, such as, like, a B.J. Boston or Terrence Clark that's really struggling at Kentucky. But it may just be because of the system fit. I mean, we've seen the last couple guys come out of Kentucky really just struggle there in their freshman seasons, such as Tyrese Maxey and uh, Tyler Harrow and Keldon Johnson, and then come into the league and turn out to be good pros. So getting rid of P.J. Tucker, and um, depending on what they do with Oladipo, because I did wake up and see um, a report that Oladipo still wants to end up in Miami. So maybe they, in fact, go after getting Harrow in a pick for Oladipo. And I think that would also be huge because, I mean, I'm not super high on Tyler Hero. I don't think he's a guaranteed future star. But I think he can give you a good 18 to 20 points and, like, 
four or five assists a game on decent efficiency. And so if they can just build more to their future by acquiring more youth, I think Christian Wood is the centerpiece right now. You want to acquire more young talent that fits around him because he looks to be like one of the better scoring big men in the league as uh, he grows older. That will do a lot for transitioning from the James Harden era to whatever the next era of Houston basketball is. And I'm excited to find out what that is. Because despite Tillman Ferretta being their owner, who's particularly not a great owner, um, I do think Houston has a great front office. And they, in the past, they've shown the ability to find gems hidden in the rough. Um, which started with like Daniel House and P.J. Tucker themselves. So that's it for Houston. Uh, I think they, I mean, they didn't win or lose yet. Uh, I think we, we can't really grade their haul until we see what the team looks like in a couple years. But um, let's move on to the third team, uh, Indiana. And they acquired Karis LeVert and gave up Victor Oladipo. They also acquired a 2023 second round pick, but... I mean, that just doesn't mean a lot to me because, I mean, only a few teams really swing and hit on their second-round picks, and it's just very unlikely you get a star player. If you're lucky, you get a good role player out of a second-round pick. So everyone's pretty excited that Indiana picked up Karis LeVert in this deal, but I actually find that they are the biggest losers in this whole tra- in this, in this four-way trade. So picking up Karis LeVert isn't bad because I think he's a a good basketball player, um, good decent shooter. I think he's about the same level of shooter as Oladipo. Uh, I think he might have the edge as a playmaker. Uh, we've seen him, you know, drop high high assist number games with low turnovers, and he has great vision and he gets up and down the court. Um, he finds his he finds his teammates really well. And my biggest issue is that is that really all you can get for Victor Oladipo? Karis LeVert and uh, 2023 second round pick. Karis LeVert is not some, you know, young up and comer. He's already 26. Uh, There's really not that much more growth in his game, in my opinion. Um, And there are tendencies that make me concerned about, you know, like, do you expect Karis to totally duplicate um, Oladipo? Indiana's culture has been that players come in and play hard defense. And I think Karis Silver has the physical tools to be a good defender. But, I mean, whether he becomes a good defender or not is still yet to be seen because he's not a good defender. Um, he wasn't in Brooklyn at any point. However, on the other end of the court, I mean, yes, he's a great playmaker. Yes, he's a good shooter from anywhere. Um, he can get to the rim a lot. He's a great slasher. He does take a lot of bad shots. I mean, the shot like the shot selection is not great. And if you're going to have him on ball even more in Indiana, I think Pacers fans will get frustrated. And um it's just something to watch for. He's um he's pretty inefficient at times and when he's not hitting his shots but still taking those step back twos or like contested threes. These are not high percentage shots for him because he's not an elite shooter. And uh, like he can, I think, ideally become like a 22, 23 point per game score in Indiana and give you about four or five, four rebounds and five assists, something like that. And yeah, that's like, that's pretty flashy from a numerical standpoint. But with the context of it, it's it really won't be that great because I think he's still going to be inefficient. I mean, 
Playing next to Malcolm Brogdon, I think, might help him a little bit because Malcolm Brogdon is a fantastic on-ball player. Uh, he doesn't take any bad shots. Um, I'd actually like to see him be more aggressive and sometimes take bad shots. But, again, just getting Karis LeVert out of this for Oladipo just seems so pointless. And I can't believe that that's all they got. Because Oladipo, like, if you were to tell me that Oladipo played exactly like he did in the bubble and the end of last season, then yeah, I mean, it would be reasonable. But Oladipo has pretty much went right back to his all-star form. Not his all-NBA form, just his all-star form. Where he's a great on-ball defender, a great slasher, got his burst back. And I would think that you can at least get a first-round pick out of that. And my main issue is that I don't think Indiana solved anything. So I really hope this isn't the last move they make because the biggest issue with the Pacers and they'll still be a playoff team I think um, is the fit between Sabonis and Turner they're both great and uh, um, great individual players but they just they don't work together Miles Turner is a sensational stretch five defender and Demonta Sabonis is like a playmaking uh, big man who should I think should be utilized as a small smaller five uh he's a good passer great rebounder and has actually a really good offensive game and while hypothetically it should work because they both stretch the floor it just hasn't the ratings and just the team doesn't play well when they're both on the court but when they're both individually playing the team plays fantastic um obviously indiana was trying to get gordon hayward and uh, they were willing to give up turner then and I think they can still get a massive haul for Miles Turner because he has been uh, one of the best, if not the best, defensive player in the league this year. Um, I think there was some stat I saw he was holding opponents that he contested shots of to about like 16%, which is something absurd. And he's averaging, uh, last time I checked, he's averaging a good three or four blocks. And I know I said blocks don't make you a good defender, but it can complement you, obviously. So, yeah, I just I want to see what Indiana does going forward. Um, this team doesn't still doesn't have a superstar, but I think if you trade Turner and kind of let Sabonis shine, Sabonis can possibly elevate to becoming a superstar because he's been sensational, um, especially when Turner's off, obviously. Brogdon is another 50-40-90 guy, but I don't think he'll ever be a superstar per se. I think he's a great complementary option, uh, spaces the floor really well, and has become a really good playmaker since his time in Milwaukee. So yeah, um, I really want to see what this team does going forward. I think there's still a lot of moves to be made, and I mean, this team will still win games just based off coaching and talent. Um, whenever TJ Warren comes back, that's going to be a massive help because apparently TJ Warren has become a good shooter now. So while the future is bright, uh, I do think that Indiana kind of, well, for one, they didn't really have to get involved in this trade at all. And I think not getting a first-round pick out of Oladipo when he's shown that he's kind of back to, say, about 90% of what he was is a really bad handling of the situation. So now um, let's move on to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think Kobe Aitman, uh, I think that's his. I think that's how you pronounce it. My apologies if I mispronounced it. Uh, I think he's done a great job of rebuilding the Cavs. Um, that really doesn't get enough credit. 
Uh, I think Colin Sexton is probably one of the most underappreciated players in the league. And it's really just because he's undersized and isn't really a playmaker. But at the same time, he's a super efficient scorer, uh, 48% from the field and 43 from three last year. And he's a great slasher, great attacker, good burst. And he's he's an underrated perimeter defender. I think I don't think people give him enough credit because he's so small. But he he wears his heart on his sleeve. He hustles really hard. Um, he he's sort of like an irritant, sort of like um, how Peyton Pritchard has looked defensively this year. But the biggest thing for the Cavs, obviously, has been the growth and development of Darius Garland. And, you know, Darius Garland was, uh, efficiency-wise, the worst player in the NBA last year. He was terrible defensively, which is still holds true. Um, and he was awful on offense. He couldn't find his teammates. It really looked like, for a second there, that this guy was basically Colin Sexton without the efficiency on offense and without any defensive skill. But this year, um, he obviously went down with an injury, but I mean, he really flipped the script. And he only played a couple games, so I mean, it's a very small sample size to go off of. But I mean, the whole season's only been like 10 games. The whole season is a small sample size to go off of. And he's really shown a great uh, playmaking ability that, honestly, I didn't even see in college. In college, he was a, a great scorer, but he would often do things himself and not really look for his teammates even though occasionally he would um, make the beautiful passes. And I think that rate of playmaking has really gone up this year. He's really doing a great job finding his teammates, such as uh, Larry Nance has become a very good target for him, uh, especially when he's cutting to the rim. Um, kicking out to Colin Sexton is always a great idea. And having Andre Drummond down low, even though Drummond's not a great player per se, but he still gets his buckets. Uh, he's a dominant big man. Uh, uh, dominant's kind of exaggerating it. But he's a sizable big man who can use his strength and physical ability to finish at the rim. Um, they drafted Isaac Okoro this year. And I think that was a sensational pick. I wanted my Hawks to get him. But he went one pick higher. He looks already looks like he has elite on-ball defensive upside. And he looks like he can be a really big force in off ball as well he commands the passing lanes really well and he's sort of an irritant he kind of reminds me of a marcus smart type defender where even though he isn't the biggest player uh he's a gritty tough like he's a gritty tough guy that can really just cover any position and i think he's going to be massive in hiding some of the limitations of sexton being small and of course darius garland just not being a good defender and whenever Kevin Porter Jr. comes back, um, I think you can put Isaac Okoro at the stretch four, even though he's pretty undersized for that, uh, just because of his elite defensive traits. So my bad for rambling. Um, now to get on to Cleveland's actual haul, they picked up Torian Prince and also um, Jared Allen. And I think these were sensational pickups. Torian Prince is more of a veteran, so he might be a buyout candidate come... Uh, trade deadline and, and around that time but Jared Allen is a fantastic piece um, he's a great defender I mean I think that was the biggest issue that everyone's making of the whole Brooklyn deal is you lose your best kind of rim protector like DeAndre Jordan can't hold anything to Jared Allen Jared Allen fights he gets to the rim 
and he does a great job getting up contesting shots um, he knows how to operate in the pick and roll and I think he's also going to just be another great target for Darius Garland to get himself better and I wonder if Cleveland wants a bigger guard to be next to Darius Garland as opposed to Colin Sexton which could open up obviously trade offers but I mean this young core of Cleveland with um, Kevin Porter Jr. and Dylan Windler, their first round picks last year, is not something to overlook. I don't think they're going to be good for a couple years, but they have a lot of potential. And I'm excited to see what, how this team operates in making their next move. They're going to be picking high in this draft. Um, before Jared Allen, I wanted them to get Evan Mobley. But now I could see them getting uh, Jalen Green maybe. If they're picking high enough, a really good slashing wing who could run the court with um, Darius Garland in case you want to move Colin Sexton to a six-man or in case you want to uh, trade Colin Sexton. And I'm a big fan of Colin Sexton, don't get me wrong. I think he's uh, he has a lot of untapped potential still. Obviously, that's really in the playmaking department. And if he can ever become more of a just have just increase his vision, I think that's just going to be huge for him. So I think Cleveland won this deal. Um, they obviously gave up Dante Exum. And, um, I mean, yeah, they gave up Dante Exum. Uh, Dante Exum is not a terrible player. He's a pretty good defender. He's turned into a good passer. But, I mean, that's really not a lot if you're getting Jared Allen and Torian Prince. I believe they also gave up a second-round pick. But, I mean, again, great haul for Cleveland. Uh, they come away as maybe the biggest winners, depending on how James Harden fits out in Brooklyn and depending how the Rockets manage their picks and assets going forward. So now I want to flip the script. Um, I want to talk about Jalen Brown. Uh, Jalen Brown is currently in quarantine, so he hasn't played for a little bit. But in the time that he has played, Jalen Brown has just looked absolutely fantastic. Um I know most NBA fans will say that Jason Tatum is the best player on the Celtics. And yeah, he's the best overall player. But the best player for the Celtics this year has been Jalen Brown. I think he's the X factor. When Jalen Brown doesn't play well, the whole team hasn't played well. Um, of course, Jason has gotten his numbers and stuff like that. My biggest issue with Tatum is that he has stretches in a game where he just goes ghost. Like, he, he won't make his shots. And for this year, he hasn't been a great defender either because he has more of a heightened role on, on offense. So I can't blame him for that. But Jalen Brown is hitting mid-range shots at an absolutely absurd rate. He's shooting about 70%, which is not going to continue uh, for the rest of the season because, I mean, that's just improbable. I think the league average is like slightly above 40. But if he can even maintain it at 50%, that's sensational. Like, we haven't seen a mid-range shooter of, like, this caliber in quite some time as, like, a, a guard or a slashing two, whatever you want to call Jalen Brown. And, um, yeah, I mean, his growth has been fantastic. He makes significant strides to his game every single year, which is why I wasn't concerned at all when they gave him that four-year extension, which was over $100 million. And now that might be one of the biggest steals if you look back on it. Because he's playing at an all-NBA rate. He's still a sensational defender. 
And I think the biggest thing, like obviously he's hitting mid-range shots and threes at great rates, but the biggest thing for Jalen Brown has been his ball handling ability. I think that was his biggest limitation because it was always that someone needed to create for Jalen Brown instead of Jalen Brown creating for others. And while he's still not a playmaker per se, he can now he now has like a ball handling ability enough to where he can get to his spots and he can pull the trigger from any angle. And that's really huge in his development. Because I mean, as a rookie, this guy was literally just a transition finisher with the occasional catch and shoot three. And I know a lot of my friends were pretty disappointed with him in the first couple of years he was in the league. Because he was the third overall pick. And when you have a guy like Ben Simmons go above you and he comes in and makes an immediate impact. I mean, you want to see more from your guy that you drafted third overall. And Jalen Brown has been fantastic. Um, he's still an exceptional defender. And I think that's an underrated part of his game. Everyone knows he's a good defender, but he's great off ball, on ball. He's a really big irritant. Him and Marcus Smart are just a terrifying duo to go up against. And... I'm very excited to see how the rest of the season pans out for Jalen Brown. I believe he'll make his first All-Star appearance this year. Um, obviously, there's no All-Star game this year, but he'll be written in as an All-Star or whatever um, they do with that. And potentially, he could be an All-NBA third team um, candidate. I think Tatum will get it because Tatum's also been very impressive this year. Uh, I think a lot of my friends around here think I don't like Jason Tatum. And that couldn't be any further from the truth. Uh, I wouldn't buy this guy's jersey if I didn't like Jason Tatum. So I'm actually hypercritical of Jason Tatum. I mean, I've seen him since he's entered the league. And um, he's he was one of my favorite players at Duke. Immediately thought he was like the second coming of Carmelo Anthony when I saw him play. And having him in Boston, and I'm no Celtics fan, but... Just having him in Boston and being able to go see him play in person is just so much fun. And I think uh, Tatum and Brown, you know, commanding this team, of course, they're going to get Kemba Walker back soon. They're going to get Romeo Langford back soon. And I don't think um, enough people are talking about Romeo Langford potentially coming back. I think he's a great on-ball defender. Um, he really hustles. And in the short time that he played, he generated positive defensive win shares, which is really hard to do when you don't play a lot. Offensively, he really struggled, um, that's for sure. But, I mean, he was hurt. I mean, he's hurt this year. But I think, you know, now with a year under his belt, there's a chance he's more comfortable in the offense. And I think he's going to run a great bench unit with Pritchard, um, OJLA, and Daniel Tice. So now switching to a team that's underwhelmed, actually, we'll go to Denver, where I want to talk about Nikola Jokic. And I know Denver's underperformed, but I can't not talk enough about what Jokic is doing offensively this season. Everyone's known that he's a knockdown shooter. He has a really unorthodox form, but it just always seems to go in like a teardrop. It's beautiful. But... Nikola Jokic now is undoubtedly the greatest passing big man of all time. And I can say that very comfortably. This guy has just the most absurd vision. Like, yes, you know, he looks for his own buckets. But, I mean, he's basically averaging a triple-double right now. And that doesn't mean a lot to me. But the context of it does. I mean, 
he's got great teammates around him. Jamal Murray, of course. Uh, Michael Porter has been a great offensive option, of course, until he went into quarantine. But, I mean, he Nikola Jokic just operates like a a fat seven-foot point guard. It's actually absurd. Like, he sees anyone at any angle anywhere on the court. All those full-court lobs that he makes down the court that are just dimes, honestly. He throws better passes than Drew Locke currently. <laughs> uh, I like Drew Locke, but it's the truth. Nikola Jokic is just an absurd passer, and I just wanted to highlight that. You know, if you haven't watched a Nuggets game um, and you're just looking for basketball to watch because your team's games might be postponed, looking at you, Boston fans, um, catch a Nuggets game and just watch Jokic just be a real-life quarterback in the NBA. Like, literally just finding people anywhere. And, like, I think my favorite plays of Jokic is where, um, you know, the guy's just cutting to the basket while he's in the post, and Jokic is not even looking his direction and just flings it at, like, 100 miles per hour and will just catch him going right to the rim. And, yeah, I think Jokic plays an excellent brand of basketball. Um, Unfortunately, Denver's really struggled this year. Uh, The loss of Jeremy Grant is huge. And I'm going to do a whole segment about Jeremy Grant because I think what Jeremy Grant's doing is absolutely sensational in Detroit. Um, But, yeah, so that's it for Denver. Um, I want to see this team pick up some more defenders and trade away Gary Harris. As Gary Harris has just gone downhill every single year since that 17-point-per-game season. And it's kind of sad, but... It is what it is. You need to make the best out of your time, make the best out of this core that just went to the conference finals. And now they're just immensely struggling on defense. They can't hold the Kings. So now, as we're coming towards the end of the show, I really just want to talk about some of the rookies that have stood out to me. Um, let's start with the most popular guy, LaMelo Ball. Um, I really had questions about LaMelo's offense translating. And... While, yes, LaMelo has had games where he goes like 1 for 7 or 0 for 10, he's also had games where he goes 9 for 10 or like 8 for eight for 12 or something like that. And he's already racking up rebounds and assists. He should be starting. I mean, I like Devontae Graham, but I think he's better off in a six-man role. And he's really struggled this season in general. But, I mean, you don't draft a guy number two to sit on the bench. That's really all I got to say. Um... LaMelo Ball is another great passer. I think he's going to be an absolute star in the league after watching him for just a short time. The upside is there. The Hornets just have to make the best use. He would probably be averaging like three, four more assists if he had a big man that could just catch the ball. Bismack Biombo, for whatever reason, just can't catch a single pass that LaMelo makes to him. So next up, I want to talk about the guy who's easily been the best rookie in the class. And that's Tyrese Halliburton on the Kings. And you can make the argument that Halliburton has just straight up been the Kings' best player this year. He's so fundamentally sound, and I really had questions about his shot translating, especially because of its unorthodox form. And it's like, with that shot, it looks like it's really hard for him to create off the dribble in the NBA. But that just hasn't been the case. I mean, he's not someone that's got some crazy bursts. He's not super athletic, but he just he's a very crafty playmaker who can get himself open. Uh, He's done a great job creating for others. He's very efficient. I don't think he'll finish with the best numbers in the rookie class, but I think it's sort of like Brandon Clark from last year, 
where he'll be the best overall rookie just from an efficiency standpoint. And if you just watch him play, like you can, he literally looks like a, an, a yeared vet, you know, like a four-year vet in the league. And it's, it's great to watch. And I'd like to see them roll out a lineup with De'Aaron Fox and Halliburton together because I think Halliburton can play the combo guard position and really do a great job. I think there's a lot of pressure on De'Aaron Fox because Buddy Heald can't create at all. And I think that's going to open up things for both of them. And De'Aaron Fox is very underrated, a very good passer, and his slashing ability and his burst really help create for his teammates. That's why a guy like Harrison Barnes is having a fantastic season. But um, yeah, I'm very excited for the future of Halliburton. Can't say the same about the Kings because, I mean, the Kings have not been good in my lifetime of watching basketball. Um, it was, I think, like 2003 was the last time they made a playoff appearance. But, yeah. So, next, I want to talk about Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard has been, I think, the biggest surprise to a lot of people. But, I mean, Peyton Pritchard is just more proof that not drafting someone because of age is just so pointless. Especially if you're not in the lottery and you're a playoff team. Like, you need guys that can come in and make an impact. Why are you swinging on potential rather than immediate impact. Payne Pritchard won the Bob Cousy Award, and really his biggest concern coming into the league was just the level of players he was playing up against in the Pac-12 when he was at Oregon. It had nothing to do with his game. You know, this is a gritty guy, defends hard, knocks down threes, and has actually shown to be a better playmaker in the NBA than I really thought he'd be. Um... He's just done a great job translating into the NBA. Um, I don't think he'll ever be a star, but he's going to be a super role player. He's going to be a guy that really kills, like, Philly, if you guys are listening to this, this guy is going to be a problem for you guys to deal with. You guys are going to hate this kid. He's going to knock down threes. He'll make cuts plays. He's a gritty defender. Um, He's, like, he's just absolutely fantastic. I mean, this is a great pick at 27. I can't say the same about their pick at 14, Aaron Nesmith. I thought he'd be um, a much more impactful player as a three-point shooter. Um, But it hasn't happened. But with Pritch kind of blowing up in Boston, um, the future is bright. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously Kemba's going to be the starter. But Pritch should basically just be the sixth man. I don't really want to see any more Jeff Teague. Yes, Jeff Teague has his hot streaks, but he's just not that great. Like he dribbles the ball out a lot and um, wastes shot clock. And he's just not good at keeping his head up. His shooting's too inconsistent. And when you have a guy like Payne Pritchard, why play Jeff Teague? So next, I want to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers rookie Tyrese Maxey. Um, I want to go into more depth about Maxey uh, and do like a film analysis of his 39-point game, which was super efficient uh, against Denver. But, I mean, he's been a pleasant surprise. I had Halliburton going higher than 12. So, I actually thought the Kings were going to take Tyrese Maxey at 12. And having him fall to 21, I believe it was, is just sensational for Philadelphia. Um, This is, like, this is a guy that's really going to be a great help to Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons will help him be great. Um, He's not a great shooter yet. And he wasn't a great shooter in college. 
But, I mean, the potential's there. He's really streaky uh, three-point shooter for now. But, I mean, the mid-range game has been great. And just the burst and, and speed uh, at getting to the rim has just been fantastic. Um, so, yeah, Tyrese Maxey, uh, that was a great steal. And, um, yeah. So, now on to Anthony Edwards, the number one pick. Uh, his rookie season's been very up and down. You know, we saw he had that 26-point game outburst against Portland. And then he has games like he had um, the other day. I forget against who, but it was like a, a 1 for 12 or a 2 for 12 with like 0 of 6 from 3 type of day. And that's really what I expect. Um, Ricky Rubio, I think, hasn't helped him as much as I thought it would. And that's because they're playing Ricky Rubio a lot more with D'Angelo Russell, which doesn't really make sense. Um, I don't really like how the Timberwolves are operating. Um, obviously, I mean, they don't win any games. Colin Dean Towns just came back, but they're still not a great team. Um, I don't think they'll make the playoffs. They might get into a play-in tournament. But, I mean, Edwards has shown... Edwards has actually shown a better three-point shot than I thought he had. Um, he's looked a lot more confident. I mean, if you know Anthony Edwards, then you know he's really cocky and confident. And he's done a great job at really attacking the rim. I mean, the game that I saw against Utah... Uh, he just straight up went right in and bodied Rudy Gobert, which is not an easy thing to do. And another possession, he's taking, I think it was Bogdanovich in the post, and he's doing turnaround one-legged fadeaways. And that's like, that really just shows something. Like, I'm really, really excited to see Anthony Edwards grow. I want to see the Timberwolves be good for once in my life. We had that mini, mini stretch where Jimmy Butler was there, but that's about it. Um, so yeah, that will be the end of the show today. If you guys stayed this long, thank you so much for listening to me talk for an hour. Uh, in the future, well, next show is going to be Wild Card Weekend Recap, National Championship Recap, a little bit of NFL rumors and draft talk. Um, hopefully, I can get some music so it's not just me talking uh, with no kind of sound in the background. Um, but yeah. I mean, thank you for being a part of this. Um, I hope you enjoyed. Please give me a critique. You know, what can I do better? I know I said um down the stretch like a thousand times. I need to work on that. But uh, if you have topics, you know, I'd like to do Q&A sessions down the line. Of course, today was a big episode talking about the whole James Harden trade. Um, I don't think we'll have this long episodes every single time. Um, but next time I do want to talk about the Sixers, uh, Joel Embiid being an MVP candidate early on. I think he is the early season MVP. I want to talk about Jeremy Grant's explosion in Detroit. I want to talk about the Portland Trailblazers future. Uh, and that'll all be decided um, eventually. So I'm going to make an Instagram, Rich Swiss Sports. Follow me there if you haven't already. And I'll, hopefully... This isn't your last time listening to me. Uh, sorry if I rambled on right there. Thank you for joining me. Have a nice day. And I will talk to you guys soon.